This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Frida Liu. You're listening to Enterprise. Air International was founded in Australia in 1967 by Owen Joan after he built an air conditioner for his own Jaguar and discovered a demand for it among other luxury car owners. How has it evolved over 50 years to various countries? We're here to find out from a CEO, Reggie Samuel. Good morning, Reggie. Good morning, Frida. How are you? I'm very good. And you know, I know uh, there is a, there's been a great evolution uh, to what Air International started out to what it is today. I'm going to yep. get you to try to explain 50 over years. <laughs> As you know, take your time, take your time. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll do my best. And uh, typically this is or goes over an hour presentation, but I'll try to make it simple uh, for, for the today. Well, okay. Like you said, 50, 50 years ago, right? Owen John created a company, uh, well, own air conditioning for his Jaguar, right? So what has happened is he took the car in for service and uh, the service guy said, look, uh, Bryson Motors in Melbourne, Australia said, where did you get this uh, air conditioning? He said, well, I didn't get it. I made it myself and he and his brother and a partner. Um, so can you make another one for me? Then John, Owen John said, no, I can make 20 for you if you can actually sell it. It's sold. The first ca- the cash that he received, he didn't know how to account for it. So what he did was he had another company called Air International that was doing the touristy uh, Cessna plane flight all over Melbourne, you know, the tourist planes. So he actually put the cash into that business called Air International. The first logo actually had a plane on our AI logo, it had a plane in it. Um, so over time, the company changed hands um, in 2005. It was sold to a private equity firm, Unitas Capital, out of Hong Kong. And they needed a finance person, a CFO, to lead it. I was in Korea at that time. Um, by the way, I'm a Malaysian, so I had a, a Korea at that time. And they asked me to come and be their CFO slash COO. Uh, 2005, I joined them. So the company went from being, being a Australia-centric uh, air conditioning. So what we do, we do air conditioning. Um, so when you sit in the car and you, you want a temperature, you turn the blower on, uh, that's what we do, which is sits in behind the dashboard. We also do things that will help the engine cool down, the radiators and so forth. Um, so it, that is what we did, we, we were doing and still do today. Um, then in uh, 2005, what's really sold to, uh, to a private equity firm, the shareholders, even during 1995, even before it was sold, had the vision that Australia is not going to be, if we're only doing business in Australia, it will die. And as you know, it died uh, in Australia. So they actually went to China in 1995. Um, in 1995, just to give you a scale, China was producing 330,000 cars that time. Today is 22 million. Right, so we were one of the first early entries into China, and then from China they went to the U.S. Um, because they realized that they needed to go. They had good product, they had good technology. Let's try to be a nimble supplier because the, our competitors are big, humongous, Denzos and Valios and uh, Vistions at those times. 
So we went to the U.S. in the year 2000, uh, 1999, and then came back to China in Chongqing with another joint venture partner uh, in 19, uh, year 2000. So they started breaking, uh, going out, uh, and of course the private equity firm got excited with seeing the, seeing the performance of our international, bought them over in 2005. I joined them since then. So what has happened throughout the, part of it is driven by the market requirement. The customers actually said, look, previously, as you you might know, cars are built in different countries by different, you know, even though the cars look the same, they are all designed differently. Um, over time, the car companies decided to have one design launched in many countries. So if you are doing business with General Motors, for example, and you don't have Europe, uh, as, or South America or India, uh, they can't just give you the business in the US because then they have to retool with another supplier for the other markets. So we needed to be in more markets and that's one of the strategies we did in 2005 onwards is then start going to uh, Thailand, being in India. Uh, over time then we went into Europe. We are right now in Slovakia supplying Jaguar Land Rover and Volkswagen. Um, we are in China, we just grew all over China. Um, and now we are also in Brazil. So we went from a small little company in Australia, in Melbourne, into now a one of the leading uh, air conditioning. We call ourselves a thermal management company rather than just air conditioning. Right. Oh, that was okay. Uh, and of course, the, the, the offerings have also changed. I know like you've also moved into EV and your clientele yes. is, you know, uh, the big names. Yeah. Okay, in 2010, um, in a strategy session, we realized that if we were just going to do HVAC, uh, HVAC air conditioning, um, the company's margins will start to deteriorate and we won't be. Because in the automotive industry, one of the peculiar things about it is the lead time to recognize the sales is about 24 months. China is a bit earlier, it's shorter, of course. And so you have to do a lot of investments and the return on investment is very, very small if we just keep on, on HVAC. So we decided to get into electric vehicle. Now, why electric vehicle? We, our expertise is thermal management. When you have a battery, the battery needs to be kept at the same temperature as the human body. So therefore, instead of having to cool and, and heat passengers in the cabin, we also got to do with the battery. So sort of have two uh, uh, revenue streams. So we actually built our Chinese uh, engineering team in, in Shanghai and, and the US, and we became one of the foremost uh, EV supplier. We've, we, I don't know whether you've heard a company called NIO uh, in China. In China. They, they are listed in the stock exchange, in New York Stock Exchange. They are one of the best EV companies. They are the ones who introduce battery swapping to the market. Uh, then, of course, we have got uh, a few other companies through um, confidentiality. I can't mention, but I can tell them they're the world number one electric car company. So hmm. we are supplying them around the world. And uh, don't mention them on the radio, but, um, you know, we're supplying to them around the world. Uh, all of their vehicles, okay. if you know what I mean, it's got air international yeah. air conditioning in it. Um, so Jaguar Land Rover Discovery. Um, and the and, uh, de uh, Defender is got Air International, the one they used in James Bond, the new Defender right. that they blew up, uh, that has Air International air conditioning in it. So lots and lots. And also in Malaysia, the Proton X50 uh, is, is uh, Air International air conditioning. You know, right. so that we've, I've taken it back home to Malaysia as well. Ah, okay, so that was your ulterior motive, to bring it back home. Yes. 
Okay. Yes. Now, yes. so I know that you've you've gone through a lot. And what goes into the R and D? You know, I mean, how much is invested into R and D, or you know, that kind of commitment to R and D? A significant amount. You know, um, mm. so one of the things challenges are the car companies, the custom consumers like you and me um, need the product to be lighter because then for fuel consumption there is the market pressures on on environment um, customer comfort the EV it comes in um, so there are a lot of these things when EV comes in the real estate as we call it which is the dashboard area has become a rare commodity because now they have to put in so many electronics into the car it takes out a lot of the space that we used to take putting air conditioning in so we've got to make and in a heat exchanger, uh, meaning we're trying to make someone cold or hot, it, it, it needs heat exchanging. The bigger the surface area that we get, the better that we can perform. But here's, here's the thing. Now we've got to make it smaller, but perform even better. And so a lot of R&D needs to go into that. Uh, it needs to be lighter. Um, and pe- things were, you know, in the olden days were all made of uh, a copper. Now it's aluminium. Um, it needs to last longer. Uh, number yes. there's the other thing, warranty. People are giving five years, hundred thousand kilometers or more. Yeah. Uh, the Koreans are actually some of them giving even higher. So it's it's all of these put together means that we got to have a product that performs smaller space, performs better and cheaper. So and obviously uh, uh, will last longer uh, in the in the marketplace. So these put together, we we have R and D centers in uh, China, which is our biggest center. In, uh, in Michigan as well as in India. Uh, we just recently kicked off a small uh, R&D center as well in Thailand mm. um, because in Thailand we've got working with the universities and so forth so we've got that work going in as well. So yeah, significant amount actually, more than 4 or 5% of our sales revenue goes into uh, R&D. Right. The, the, com- your, the company is Air International, right? You don't say Air Thermal, yeah. right? Okay. I'm no, here with Air, the C- Air International Thermal System. I'm here with the CEO of Air International Thermal Systems, Reggie Samuel, and we'll talk a little bit about what still excites him about the automotive industry and new developments in just a moment. You're listening to Enterprise BFM 89.9. Benchmark for Managers, BFM 89.9. Good morning, this is Frida Liu. If you've just joined us, it's Enterprise. I'm here with uh, Air International Thermal Systems CEO, Reggie Samuel, uh, Air International Thermal Systems, founded in Australia in 1967. It's evolved quite a bit then and it's changed a lot since as well. Um, you know, and we were talking earlier on, but I want to know a little bit about you, right? Uh, you, yourself, Reggie. Uh, your own career started with the Colgate Palmolive here in Malaysia. Yes. And then after that, you know, of course, you've been with the company and went in Korea and a few other places. Um, and along the way, I know something major happened in 2008. Um, and, you know, the, tell me about that story. I think that was really interesting and in how you had to look at business differently. Yeah, so we, like you said, I was in Colgate, then I left for Korea. That was Korea was with uh, TRW uh, Systems, which is, uh, I was hired in Malaysia with the intent of going to Korea for six months, right? 
and then come back as be the finance director for Asia Pacific for TRW. Well, six months turned into five years in Korea with TRW. Um, this company, in Air International Thermal System, I, I joined them in 2005, and we were on a growth path. Um, we, as you just meant, we talked about earlier, our technology, the customers, our acquiring new customers, different locations, we were growing. And once we've invested, it takes 24 months or 16 to 24 months before we get revenue. And then 2007, 2008 happened, which is the, as we call it now, global financial crisis. Going through that, nobody had a name for it at that time. Mm-hmm. We just completely lost with the growth plan, with the investments already done, waiting for cash to come in from the revenue. We just lost 57% to 60% of our revenue, just like that, gone. GM, our biggest customer, reason we went to the US and made that big investment, uh, declared chapter 11. All our competitors, uh, excluding Denso, all uh, chapter 11. Here we are, uh, Australian company still at that time, wondering what to do. So, to make matters worse, my CEO at that time um, was, we had, he was ill. Um, and he had cancer and he had to leave the business. So, I'm, I'm in. so <laughs> sometimes you like to get promoted, you know, and this, this is not one of those times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what is, um, what is, what is, what did we had to do? We had to survive. Um, we then decided that the board and the shareholders, Unitas Capital, will go and talk to the banks and try to restructure the, uh, restructure the loans. We, me, and the team will have to go and figure out how do we turn around the business. Luckily, we already saw the sign of Australia is, is going to go down. So we already started restructuring Australia, but then I had to, we had to accelerate that. We did that. We went to the U.S. and restructured the U.S. business. And um, and then in China, so what we did was we created a plan called uh, Reduce, Stabilize, and Grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, the strategy that we did was it's so easy to cut costs. That's actually the lazy man way, my view, right? right? right. Because you can simply cut costs and then kill the company, actually. What we did was right. a strategy cost-cutting, meaning we went and looked what are the things that we can now avoid doing, stop doing, and then we cut those costs out. But at the same time, by the way, um, we invested into Thailand and brought our production line from Australia to Thailand and kicked off Thailand during the crisis. So if we haven't done that, it's a binary thing. Air International would not have existed if we did not launch Thailand. We have, would not have one of the heart of the air conditioning, is it's called a cooling collar, mechanics right. here will call it the evaporator. Um, we wouldn't have had that product and therefore we would have just closed shop. So it's a strategic cost reductions that we've done. We looked at what is required for us to remain grow, remain in the growth path, because this will pass. We all knew that this will pass. And when this passed, we then, we need to be able to take uh, the opportunity that's going to come in front of us. And we did exactly that the moment 2009-10 came about. And with our electric vehicle focus, we just grew after that, we started getting really significant business, and our growth growth engine was China, um, and U- and US. So we grew there, grew there quite a lot. All right. So interesting, you say this too shall pass, and then twenty twenty happened. 
could we use this? Was 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 what was the business model that could that that formula work then? I mean, what were the what were the you know the intricacies in 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 twenty twenty? Twenty twenty was was I mean I think it's more profound impact to businesses than than two thousand seven and eight. Okay. Um, 2020 was just people not able to get to work. The demand stopped. I mean, if you look at what is happening, people are still consuming mm. um, via, but the platform of consumption changed. Instead of going to the supermarkets, right. they actually can do it online and all that nice things happen. In the automotive, basically, is people are worried and buying cars are typically a decision that can wait. Mm. Right? So... You can not need not buy the car today. You can probably postpone that six months, one year, two years. So what? No big deal. Since I'm not using the car to go anywhere, anyway. So therefore, why not? And so what has happened with the automotive specifically industries? The volumes obviously plummeted. So it's similar to 2007 and eight. And so what International had to do was um, was do the restructuring again, which we did. But the difference is, unlike 2007 and eight. The moment things were getting back to normal, where people were consumptions were starting to take place, it went, the, the increase is so steep, freight costs went up. And if you remember, one of the challenges that we had was for years and years, as you know, businesses started getting into this uh, offshoring. Make the, make the product centralized somewhere low cost. China, Thailand, India, and then export them to all the all the other countries. Well, the freight cost was just a small part of our cost structure before. Today, it's gone up by 300%. Labor costs have gone up. So automation and nearshoring, what has happened now is we do nearshoring. We have to now find ways to make this product closer to where the production and the customers are as opposed to the offshoring. So a lot of companies have started looking into, we are looking into, you know, Mexico, uh, we're looking at India, we're looking at getting closer to North America and Europe, instead of just making it all in China and, uh, and uh, Thailand, for example, and shipping around the world. So these are new different challenges that we had that we didn't have in 2007 and eight, hmm. And the demand, it just grew. Um, it, and we can't sustain that. We, we can't actually meet that demand. Mm. Uh, people, wow. The other other problem we had was employment. Right. Can't find workers. Um, right. Workers, and we are going through that in Malaysia, many industries, as you know. But in, for us, in the automotive industry, workers in China, difficult to find. Uh, in Mexico, in Slovakia, they are not easy to come, come by. So these are things that then automation came into play. We had to think about more aggressively into automation. But, and so these are the huge different things that we had to go through. And that's what we're going through right now. And, and right. it's been a challenge. The, the, the uh, digitalization, transformation, automation, that sort of thing. So that yes. is probably the way forward, as you say. Well, yes. I mean, you, you would think, right, it's hard to find talent when you also hear other stories where, uh, you know, people can't get work. So I think yeah. it's the the, 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 the the specialization, right? Um, yeah. in, so I guess, like, you know, what so excites you about the automotive industry or what you're doing right now? What do you see happening, um, you know, in, in the foreseeable future? Where is, where is this space heading to? Automotive is going into a bit of like the phone, where the phone transformation happened, the mobile telecommunication happened. Everybody who thinks they're selling a phone has gone out of the business. 
everybody that think that they are selling a lifestyle is remain in the business. You know, uh, an automotive is those who think they're selling cars uh, will eventually find themselves in deep trouble. Automotive is moving into a lifestyle. Um, autonomous is, is coming, uh, whether you like it or not. People are going to use the cars. Car sharing, ride sharing is going to happen. Um, and energy saving as a result of that is going to happen. So when that happens, car vehicle is becoming a means to getting an activity done, as opposed to if the new generations are looking at cars and saying, this is a dead investment, I don't need to buy one, I just need to rent one, I need mm. to share one. So you can call eventually, and we see, and we are preparing the thermal systems, the, the entire vehicle towards, you can, after your meeting, call for your car, the car will drive out of the car pink, uh, parking lot, come and pick you up, and you can choose whether you drive the car with your hands off, and obviously, or, or you can sit, sit at the back and the car will drive you to your next destination. These cars will be shared um, with other, other consumers. So it will be happening for sure. As a result of that, the technology advancements that's going to come into the automotive industry will provide more opportunities for guys like us and other companies. You'll see non-automotive technology providers getting into automotive. Right. And the reason of that being excitement is that when in automotive, when a car is launched, typically it's about 100,000 cars a year at a model. Hmm. Hmm. Right, so you get a significant scale uh, for introducing your technology. Um, mobile phone is the same thing, obviously. So these are the things that are exciting in the industry today, and I'm really. I mean, our team is fully geared up to try to uh, get as much as possible. Uh, the you know you, you when you're riding uh, sharing a car. You want to make sure that the car has thermal systems and the air conditioning system should have filtration and ability to clean the car clean. And those things are challenging and coming up uh, as well. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be different completely um, from what we used to know before. All right. Uh, thanks for spending time with us. I've been speaking to uh, Reggie Samuel, CEO of Air International Thermal Systems. This is BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.